If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. This morning, we continue our series on access and disability awareness, deconstructing and reconstructing theology and praxis that more faithfully move us towards God's widest welcome. But first, will you bow your heads with me? The Oklahoma gubernatorial debate was salty, holy one, and it delighted many of us There were zingers, one-liners, and gotcha moments galore. When it was pointed out that the current governor, to the current governor, that people of Oklahoma can't even trust you with barbecue, we howled. Indeed, it is truly difficult to list anything good that guy has done for anyone other than himself. Of course, the same could be said of us. After all, it's not like everything was fine until the last election and then it all went to hell in a handbasket. Are we really all that committed to freedom and justice for all? Apparently, the level of bad had to rise to the point that some of us were personally affected before we were moved to cry out against injustice take away abortion access for the daughters of wealthy white people, and suddenly the top tax bracket is willing to march for body autonomy. We confess, Holy One, that it is reasonable for you to wonder if we can be trusted to stay with the feeling. We will have to start standing up to bullies even when they aren't picking on us. We will have to demand the right to health care, even if we aren't trans. We will have to fully fund public education, even if our kid won't ever eat free school lunches. Be with us, Holy One, as we work to build trust with you, with our neighbors, with our own selves. With humble hearts, we pray. Amen. 
Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 39. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. By the time theologian and sociologist Nancy Eastland was 13 years old, she had had 11 operations for the congenital bone defect in her hips and realized pain was her lot in life. So why then did she say that she hoped that when she went to heaven, she would still be disabled? The reason was that her identity and character were formed by the mental, physical, and societal challenges of her disability. She felt that without her disability, she would, quote, be absolutely unknown to myself and perhaps to God. This can be a surprising take that disability isn't understood exclusively as something to be fixed or mended or healed. But Dr. Eastland deepens the surprise by grounding this position theologically. For many of us, our embedded theology says the exact opposite. We were taught, and even if we weren't taught it explicitly, we absorbed it from the wider culture, that when we die, there will be no disability especially if we are in heaven. It assumes that when the book of Revelation promises that God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that this specifically deals with our physical bodies, especially disabled bodies. Indeed, this is how people would try to comfort Dr. Eastland. Don't worry about your pain and suffering now. In heaven, you will be made whole. But here is a theologian, someone devoted to the study of God and religious beliefs, who hoped to hold on to her disability in the ever after. She wanted to still be able to need to rely on her wheelchair because it was part of her personhood. She didn't understand her physical body in this life as needing fixing or mending or healing. She wanted to keep her disabled body. To those who wanted to assure her that she wouldn't always be disabled, Dr. Eastland would say, my disability has taught me who I am and who God is. What would it mean to be without this knowledge? Dr. Eastland actually made groundbreaking contributions in two distinct fields of scholarship, a remarkable accomplishment for any scholar. 
She did pioneering work in disability studies, articulating the very first liberatory theology of disability in her book, The Disabled God. This book, which began as an MDiv honors thesis at Candler, has become a classic in the field. In a particular place, she studied congregations in a rapidly growing exurban area of Atlanta, a small town absorbed into new urban patterns that deeply affected its congregations, making her a leader in a second field, that of sociology of religion and congregational studies. But this morning, we will focus on the gift she gave us with her work in disability theology so that we might reconstruct a more faithful way of thinking, believing, and embodying God's love and justice. Our focus this morning is on Christology, which is the study of the person, nature, and role of Christ. We are, generally speaking, a low Christology congregation, meaning that most of us hold an image of Jesus as prophet and Messiah, but not divine. We prefer to talk about the historical figure, the fully human, human being, who Marcus Borg often described as the healer, the wisdom teacher, the prophet, and the movement initiator. The post-Easter Jesus then transformed into Christ, which isn't a person, but a symbol. This so-called low Christology, though, isn't the only option. There are also those of us who hold a higher Christology, meaning we hold an image of Jesus primarily as divine, more God than anything else. It is also true that a large chunk of us haven't given Christology any thought at all, and we really hadn't planned on doing so anytime soon. Except that you came to church today, and now you are today years old when you first thought about your own Christology. You're welcome. <laughs> we do this because of our deep need to reconstruct a different theology than the ones we have been carrying around, even unconsciously, so that we might, to repeat myself, more faithfully think, believe, and embody God's love, justice, and mercy. The good news is that we really do not have to look very far for help. We do not have to find an obscure book in the Bible that requires the assistance of the table of contents to locate. We do not have to become experts in biblical Hebrew or Greek to get the true meaning of key words or phrases. In-depth socio-historical contextualization is also not required. The story of Jesus and the symbols we tell about him, the ones we already know and are familiar with, are quite sufficient. But because we swim in the waters of ableist church and society, we have to practice recognizing theology that liberates us from a small-minded faith. Dr. Eastland writes, a liberatory theology of disability permits a vision of people with disabilities as theological subjects and historical actors. One locus of such revelation and truth is embodied in the image of Jesus Christ. 
the disabled God. So today we look at Jesus as someone with a disability, both embodied and symbolic. We find him this way in several of the Gospels, and Luke's version was the one we read today. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Let us think about that for a minute. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, and whether we understand that in the physical or metaphorical sense, he still bears the consequences of what happened to him. Nails driven through his flesh so that they could not be used. Permanent damage done, not to mention the beating beforehand that was so bad that even his abusers had to enlist help to get him up to Golgotha. The Bible does not actually say that Jesus had nail holes in his hands and his feet. The Gospels are succinct about details of the crucifixion. They crucified him. That's what it says. As Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan explained, they did not need to say more, for the community was familiar with the Roman practice of crucifixion. The original audience of the text would have known that the victim usually carried or dragged the crossbar along with the notice of the crime to be attached to one of those uprights at the place of crucifixion. The only crucified body ever discovered in the Jewish homeland was a first-century victim whose arms were roped over the crossbar and whose ankle bones were pierced by iron nails on either side of the upright. To state the obvious, the point of this cruelty was death. No need to think about what it would be like to have to use one's body post-crucifixion. But remember, we are reading this story through Dr. Eastland's lens of a liberatory theology of disability that permits a vision of people with disabilities as theological subjects and historical actors. So when we consider what it would be like to try to use body parts after enduring that violence and abuse, well, it is absolutely reasonable to say that Jesus had become disabled, a disabled God. This part of the story by itself offers us an important pause to consider that really all of us are just temporarily abled. Disability can happen to anyone at any time, even to Jesus. He, as far as we know, could walk on his own and didn't have any holes in his hands, feet, or side until the crucifixion. It is, of course, highly unlikely any of us will become disabled through crucifixion. 
But I can tell you from personal experience that you can be sitting at your kitchen table, eating breakfast, minding your own business, and experience sudden and complete deafness in one ear after having full hearing for 36 years of your life. It happens. We are all temporarily able. But our sacred scripture does something remarkable, something powerful, something wildly countercultural regarding Jesus' disability. It isn't fixed post resurrection. Apparently, his body, his disabled body, was considered holy as it was broken, torn, requiring assistance. As far as symbols go, this is a powerful one. As Dr. Eastland observes, here is Jesus making good on the incarnation proclamation that God would be with us, embodied as we are, incorporating the fullness of human contingency and ordinary life in God. In presenting his impaired hands and feet to his startled friends, the resurrected Jesus is revealed as the disabled God. Jesus, the resurrected Savior, calls for his frightened companions to recognize in the marks of impairment their own connection with God, their own salvation. In doing so, this disabled God is also the revealer of a new humanity, but it is not one where bodies are flawless, perfect, without disability. The disabled God is not only the one from heaven, but the revelation that full personhood is fully compatible with the experience of disability. This is an, is an important shift in theological thinking. As Clifford Gertz, an anthropologist, explains, symbols have performative power for societies and individuals because they establish and maintain beliefs and values, a cultural ethos. Religion is a system of symbols which acts to produce powerful, pervasive, and long-lasting moods and motivations in people by formulating conceptions of a general order of existence. By moods, Gertz means psychological dispositions, such as self-confidence, awe, or trust. Motivation is the tendency to act or feel a particular way. Symbols create normative standards for human interaction. They legitimate social structures, political arrangements, and attitudinal inclinations, constitute our cultural toolkits, and offer visions of what can be. Understanding Jesus as disabled or the possibility of a disabled God has the power to profoundly shift our attitudes and what we do to shape the world around us when it comes to disability. But 
this idea of Jesus as disabled or of God as disabled can be challenging, even offensive to some people. As disability author Amy Kinney explains in her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, to non-disabled people, this is particularly difficult to understand because of the hypothesis that disability is always bad or a result of the fall, something to be redeemed from in the new creation. To imagine God as disabled seems to diminish God's power or presence. God can't be disabled, they inform me. That's insulting to the heart of the creator of the universe, another retorts. What's insulting to God is when we don't consider disabled people to be image bearers, or when we can only imagine paradise by erasing one quarter of humanity because that's how many of us are currently disabled. Or when we don't feed the least of these when it is well within our power to do so. I am not interested in adding to the will we or won't we be disabled in heaven conversation. On some level, it doesn't matter if our heavenly bodies will be disabled or not. No one can know that. It is out of my control and does nothing to restore the way I am treated now. But at the very least, I would like to be able to go to church without listening to folks impose their unexamined theology on me, without being bombarded with so many some days and at least, and you'll be running, kickboxing, flying, fixed, whole human in heaven. How we think about eschatology influence how we treat people today. We can't simply put eschatology in another box in our brains. If we believe that disabled people are not whole until they cross an enchanted threshold into the afterlife, that will certainly impact the way we engage with them in the here and now. We talk about God's kingdom as the now and not yet, the in-between space that we get glimpses of but are not fully part of yet. Treating disabled people as image bearers only once we get to the not yet impacts the now. So often, Amy Kinney continues, people act as if the lack of perfect bodies is the predominant thing wrong with our current world. I'd be more excited that no one hungers or thirsts in new creation especially since in our wealthy nation, one in six children don't know where their next meal will come from. But I guess my disabled body would be the focus if you were just trying to distract yourself from doing something about poverty. Imagining paradise without my wheelchair persuades us that heaven is so far out of reach, such a distant land of miracles where unicorns puke rainbows that we can't get there no matter how hard we try. Sort of like those aspirational goals we've been hearing so much about. But even for those of us who don't subscribe to the ever after in heaven theological framework, thinking theologically of 
God as disabled means doing everything we can to honor and respect, affirm and normalize disability. This is a cultural shift, a new understanding, a chance for us to reconceive the church as com a community of justice for people with disabilities. We like to say that this congregation is a place where head and heart are equal partners in faith. Now that we've made claims as to what we do believe about disability, it is time to take the next faithful steps. Remember, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And since we follow one who wouldn't stay in the grave, we better look alive. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.